This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Territory Story Podcast. My name is Leon Logan-Nathan, and with me, as always, and for the foreseeable future... (laughs) (laughs) That sounds ominous. (laughs) Hello there. Soon to be ex-co-host. Mr. Peter Gowers. (laughs) How are you, mate? I'm well, I'm well. I, I try to mix it up a bit, mate, you know, but more often than not, I stumble all over myself. <laughs> I'm not the pro that you are. <laughs> <laughs> I like the I like the as always bit. I know we've I know we've grappled with whether to do that or not in the past, but I like it. Well, forty thousand plus, mate, and uh, you know, over two hundred, I think it's 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 a reasonable uh, reasonably staple. Yeah. In fact I just finished doing a presentation um, to uh, some, some people from Lawyers Associated Worldwide mm. on, on using podcasting. Oh, yeah? It seems to be all the rage these days. I didn't realise that we were ahead of the curve here. Uh, yeah, look, we are. And, you know, thanks to uh, sort of a, a number of high-profile people and probably the um, immersion of the whole influencer concept uh, and with people's desire to create content every which way but loose. Um, you know, the humble video now, for example, can be turned into three, four, five different incarnations. And uh, while we, the concept of the vlog being the video blog or the video podcast, as some people call it, um, you know, has been big for a while, we're all used to using Zoom every day now and, you know, Skype and, and other uh, digital formats. So recording audio has become easier than it has ever been. And yeah, there's just more avenues in, in which to do it, as as you learnt just a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. But um, what I'd like to do, mate, is uh, get uh, someone on the podcast in the next little while from the Palmerston Library, because I tell you what, mate, I have just discovered li- <laughs> libraries online. I never yeah. even knew that was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I, as you know, I'm not much of a reader, you know. Uh, find consuming books a little bit tedious mm-hmm. but listening to books now that i can do till the cows come home yeah yeah. Uh, some of the deep dives that i'm taking right now on, on books that you can borrow from the library for free mm. just astounding astounding well, full disclosure on that, it, had you brought that up without giving me any background, I would have said Snorefest, I won't be available that day. But now that I know what you've taught me about this whole digital world and audio and the whole bit, we definitely need to do that because I have no doubt that a lot of our listeners would have no idea what's available to them free of charge um, and just so easily accessible. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll park that for the, for the minute. But, uh, mate, I'm, I'm really excited, as I oh, generally always am, mm. um, to introduce you uh, to the, the, our new, next guest. In fact, I've, I should be introducing him to me as well because I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, he is going to be oh, – look, I'm really looking forward to this, mate, because um, he's got a strong connection to the Territory – uh, but he doesn't live here, hasn't lived here for the best part of 23 years based on his LinkedIn profile. Yep. Um, was recommended to us by somebody else who was on the podcast, Clinton Hoffman. Yep. 
Uh, and I know, and, and so do you, based on engagement with our podcast, that mm. he, um, he's a, a regular a listener, if not follower, of what we do <laughs> with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be um, it's going to be great to have him on, and I'd like to introduce to our listeners, Mr. Graham Steele. Thank goodness, Graham, your name is on the bottom of your uh, <laughs> video. Otherwise, I would have just straight gone to Roger. But um, we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk about that in a second. Graham, welcome from LA to the podcast. Thank you. Applause. Thank you very <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Awesome. Welcome. Great to meet you guys. Yeah, great to meet you, mate. And uh, uh, we had no idea that there was a Territorian stuck in no less than Hollywood over there. Stuck in Beverly Hills, the last remaining Beverly Hillbilly. <laughs> I, I wondered if there was um, some sort of prisoner exchange with Steph Lady that took place there, Leon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've got, we've got a Hollywood screenwriter that lives here in Darwin. Uh, All right, yes. Yeah, yeah. I must give you a link to that podcast yes. there, Graham. You might be yes. able to do something with him. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, tell us, mate, your uh, your territory story probably begins with you being born in Darwin. Am I right? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to be completely honest. I was born <laughs> in Adelaide. It was, a, it was a bit of a mistake. <laughs> my, my mother and father were in Adelaide for a brief period. I don't like to admit it. But I don't want to, you know, I don't want to mislead mm. it. I was born in Adelaide, but grew up in Darwin. My, my parents were already established. So Darwin. a bit like Marshall Perrin, because I, I know he always lamented the fact that he was born in <laughs> Perth and his, his, his birthright was stolen from him. Is that the same sort of story? Same pain. It's the same pain. <laughs> <laughs> right. So your parents, tell us about them and how they ended up in the territory. Well, my father, Roger, was a... Um, most of you listeners will know, was a long-term, um, long-time politician in the Territory. He was part of the first group with um, Marshall and Paul Everingham and uh, you know, during the 1978 self-government. And he was, uh, his father, Bob Steele, I think, came to the Territory in the 50s and established one of the first organic market gardens in Darwin. Hmm. Young Roger, got, he, he had a bit of a tough upbringing. He lost his mother at a very young age <clears throat> and then he um, got into a bit of trouble with the local constabulary and the judge, whose name I forget, or company, but the judge I think gave him a couple of options, either um, go to juvie or go on to uh, work out on this cattle station. The cattle station was Humbert River Station, which was my mother's father's station mm. on uh, on the edge of VRD, Victoria River Down. So my father, when he was 13, went to work on this cattle station owned by Charlie Schultz, who's my maternal grandfather. My mother was adopted and she grew up on this cattle station and then you know, they met at a very young age and then, <clears throat> excuse me, got married later on, had a couple of kids, and um, we grew up in Darwin in the 70s in Fanny Bay. Wow. Yeah. So the judge, uh, was, it, was it possibly Paul Gel uh, David Galvin's dad? Because uh, he, he was a magistrate there at that time, I suspect. Because yeah. I know he was involved with the uh, Azaria Chamberlain case. 
Um, it was a while ago. Um, anyway, it'll come to me because someone had just – I got these random messages like last week from a couple of Darwin people saying, I need your dad's number. So-and-so is trying to get in touch with him because this old bloke wants to – and I'm like, what are you doing? You're contacting me in <laughs> LA looking for my phone. <laughs> and so I, I, I just can't – and it was this son of this uh, – of this judge who was trying to track down Roger. Right. Are your dad still in Darwin, is he, or is he? Uh, yeah, no, he's, he's still in Darwin. He's he, he's very much a passionate Territorian. Like, he's, he's he spends a bit of time in Brisbane when he gets bored. He just travels back. But he's, his best mates are in Darwin. He's very close with the um, our Matt family. Um, Doodles are Matt. Um, so, and the Priori's, Jack Priori. So he's... Close circle is still in Darwin, and he spends most of his time in Darwin. Right, and so he was one of the founding fathers of the Northern Territory in terms of Parliament, uh, uh, self government. Yeah, he, so he was in that first group with um, the nineteen seventy eight with um, Paul Everingham, Paul Everingham, and, and, and Tuxworth, and uh, Steve um, Hatton, and I, no, Steve Hatton wasn't in that group. Um, came in later. He came in later, but um, Marshall and um, I think Nick Dondas. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, now they were, I mean, for, when you look back now, you look at some of the interviews that Paul, um, that you see with Paul Everingham, yeah. um, mostly, is, they were pretty They were pretty good. They were ahead of their time. They really, they were young dudes too. Well, yeah. Pretty wild stuff in a place that no one really cared about or knew much about, apart from <laughs> Tracy. Yeah. Right. So... Yeah, what we learnt about the Territory doing this podcast is that um, part of the reason why the, the, the Territory developed at such a massive rate was uh, during Malcolm Fraser's time, he pumped a stack load of money into the Territory to, to develop it. Because I remember when I drove from Perth to Darwin, first time I ever came to Darwin in 1990, the roads on the West Australian side were, were crap and then you crossed the border into the, the Territory <laughs> and they were like just... Brand spanking new bitumen, just amazing. Yeah. And that was all Malcolm um, Fraser's doing, we learnt. Yeah, they did a lot of good work back then. And I think my, my father, for example, he's still very active and cares a lot about, um, which is, you know, the name of your, what essentially is the territory story and telling that to as many people as, as possible. Mm. Um, it's a unique it's- place, you know. Right, and so you were born in the early seventies and grew up in Fanny Bay. What was it like back then? Um, you know, we 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 had a great life um, growing up in Darwin in the seventies. It was, and I think about it now. I just kind of I see my kids <laughs> in Beverly Hills, and like a few years ago, my eldest daughter sung with her choir at Carnegie Hall in New York. Wow! And I was th- I'm thinking. Damn shit! Like I was barefoot and just running a muck riding <laughs> around East Point, and we own those caves along, you know, yeah, and, yeah, and the beach, and and like growing up with, um, you know, my best friends were, were Eddie Cabillo and all these families and this culture and and this great melting pot of everything in Darwin, and not, but it was so small and so. You know, really, back then it felt very remote, but there was something about it. I don't know what it is, but 
a lot of imagination comes from that, you know, I think. And and then I see my kids here and I'm like, you guys have no idea. <laughs> yeah. It's just blows my mind that I that I see my children just one generation and then and they get it's such a different um, so different. Very vast. And so you went to school, uh, what, Darwin Primary and then Darwin High? No, I went to St. Mary's. And, again, this is another bit of a flaw on my But I was then sent to boarding school in Brisbane. Right. Uh, ah. So I, I, um, I, I, I missed high school in, um, in Darwin. But, uh, yeah, I went to St. Mary's. And, and, and I'm still very close friends with, uh, you might know, Carla Venturin and Trey's Austin. Ah, yes. Um, we we all went to school together from like grade two or something, you know. And we're still mm. quite friendly with, with each other. Um, right. So Ther- Therese Austin, I think she went on to study law. Yeah, she's know. the judge, isn't she now in Darwin? Magistrate, isn't it? Okay, that's uh, you put me in the spot there. I don't go to court, so I don't know. Maybe she. What's it like? I don't know. Her, maybe her married name is different. I don't know. Right. right. I know she used to work in prosecutions or something, if I'm not mistaken. She's like the – dude, she's the big cheese judge up there now. Right, right. Well, I'll, we'll have to look her up. So um, so then you uh, you went to Brisbane. When did you end up running into old mate um, Clinton? Um, Hoffy, um, Clinton Hoffman and I have yes. been friends for a long time and um, it, it was – Darwin connection. We we had. Um, we, he, he was he, one of his early girlfriends. Um, uh, Greek family, amazing family in Darwin, and I was um, um, dating the uh, middle daughter, and so we kind of met through that family connection, and we just stayed really great mates um, ever since. And 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 we share a. Um, you know, we both um, both have a lot of. You know, big vision and big ideas, and and um, he's been he's been a great rock for me during times of you know when you're trying something entrepreneurial and going out on, on a limb, you always need that that champion that's in your corner, you know, and and Hoffy's always been that, or Clinton's always been that to me, and um, and he and I shared shared a lot of experiences. He came to New York quite a few times when I was. When I was there, and he—he's actually the first and only phone call that was able to get through to me on 9/11, September 11th, because mm. all the towers were down. And the only phone call I received from home was Hoffy that morning, and I can't remember—I think it dropped out, or—but I, I was able to, you know, we were able to say we're all good. Tell everyone at home before Facebook, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Tell everyone at home we're we're safe. Roxy is safe. I'm safe. We're all good. And so wow. that was my the first and only phone call that day, I think. Wow. Benton, yeah. It's a good I've got goosebumps thinking about it because he was a rock quite supportive. Again, he was that rock, you know. Wow. You'll never forget that. No. So uh you finished high school in in uh Brisbane and then did you yeah. come back to the territory after that? Which yeah, school, I, by the way? Morris Brothers, Ashgrove. Gotcha. I think we've had a I think we've had a few ex Maris Brothers Ashgrove alumni on the podcast, Leo. Well, we'll Probably that up. Probably <laughs> there's, a, there's a few of them. I, I was I was always very homesick. You know, I think I, I mentioned um, in the little plug um, that Darwin somehow, you know, 
grows, you know, it's deep in my, in who I am, in my, in my ecosystem. And, Mm. and, um, and so all throughout high school and boarding school, I was always quite homesick and could never wait to get back. I couldn't wait to get home. So I, I was very lucky, I think, in grade 11. So in, in 1985, I think, I, I, they introduced film and television as a, as a core subject. I had no idea what I was going to do with, you know, most kids at 15 or 16, but they introduced a subject of film and TV and it was really a great um, introductory class and it just kind of, for me, the penny dropped about what I wanted to do, you know, and I had a clear vision then and, and you know, you guys remember that time, the, the, you know, where a lot of our kind of, histories are, are, are um, framed by world events and in Australia if we were getting news about the IRA or famine in Africa or Nelson Mandela in apartheid and so those images and those stories really had an impact on me and and I and I when I started studying this film and TV class I realized of course well the only way that we're able to know about these atrocities or whatever is via a camera Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, audiovisual medium. And so I just kind of latched onto that idea that I wanted to work in that field. And, and in particular, I think I remember, I, I remember saying to my teacher, I, I wanted to do documentaries that brought back, uh, that uh, showed famine in Africa or injustice, you know, that, that type of theme. And so after high school, I got very lucky. I came back to Darwin and got a job at a local production company. Yeah. Um, in January, I think, a month after school, there was no colleges that was that was available for me at a bachelor's level mm. then. So I got, I got a traineeship and I think I lasted there for three months and then got a job at Channel 8. And then, and then within two years, I think I was, yeah, within two years, I think I was, I was very lucky and got to go to Sydney and work at SBS. I was working at SBS. Like, wow. Back when SBS was tiny, but it was like, wow, cultures and you know like we we were we did the first first ever australian broadcast aboriginal show all the aboriginal executive producers directors hosts rhoda roberts was a host um it was epic it was like i grew up with indigenous culture in darwin but then there was all these other people all through Mm. it was it was fantastic and for a young young dude from darwin you know 19 years old and we're in we were in South or 2019, 20, I can't remember. We were in South America in Chile filming Pinochet leaving office. Wow. <laughs> I think now I'm like, I don't know if it's a dream or not. I don't know. You know? Goodness me, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and so basically after you left Darwin to go to Sydney, that, that was the end of Darwin or did you sort of drift back here at some point? Yeah, I, I'd always drifted back. I, I kind of... You know, it, again, it's in it's part of your ecosystem, and um, and I was always drawn drawn back. I went to Sydney for a couple of years, and um, man, it, oh, I was extremely lucky. I just I can't I can't imagine how lucky I was. Like just to meet a certain people. I, I met a, an incredible journalist by the name of Trent O'Keefe, who was like one of the first journalists or um, presenters at Double J. Oh, yeah. Pre triple J, yeah, pre. And I would go and and I 
ended up living with this guy and he he looked after me and he was friends with Peter, what's his name? Peter Garrett. Yeah. Right. And so all these people and like with uh hanging out with Trent and Double J officers and doing radio stories and we met Mandela when Mandela visited Australia just after he got out of prison. Wow. <laughs> like he we were second or third in line to get the interview with Madiba in Canberra, like all this stuff, and I'm like, wow. It was just kind of an incredible, but I'd always come back like after a couple of, I can't remember how many years I came back to Darwin and stayed for a couple of years and um, it's, always, it's always home, always home. Graham, I have a question about Darwin um, that I'd be interested to get your perspective on. So um, we, we had Austin Ash uh, on the podcast last year and mm. he was telling us about what life was like for him, you know, when he grew up and, you know, he, he went to school on Mitchell Street and uh, he said that when he was young, his father used to take them out for weekends to Rapid Creek. That was like the bush to them. And I remember talking to people when I first got there and they'd say, oh, you know, back in the 80s, we used to still catch buffalo in Nightcliff. So, what was Fanny Bay like in the 70s? And, you know, do you have any sort of similarities or stories like that that, that people today just wouldn't be able to believe that only that many years ago, that close to the city, things were happening there? I mean, I think it was it was definitely like that. I mean, I, you know, when you think just because we, we do, you know, at that age I was four when Tracy happened and you remember that there was nothing. There was nothing mm. left. And, and, and I remember my uncle lived in Nightcliff on <laughs> the coastal road as you go out to Nightcliff yeah. now. Uh, Casuarina Drive? Yeah, and, and, you know, near the end of mud and the mangroves are on the left there and, and we would go and visit him in the in the mid-'70s and it was like the bush. I mean, people had acres. <laughs> and, him, and him and his mates, him and his mates were, li- were living there and they, they lived on, and, of course, they were young dudes, but they they, lived, they all lived on this property they called the Tickle Belly Gully or something. And, <laughs> But they, but they were just young dudes having having a good time drinking. But it felt like it was definitely, yeah, it was a push. But of course, I mean, it was just likely. But you know, the I, I think Leon, you know, the way I think when you said like in around early nineties, I think, or obviously maybe eighties, but it really just didn't. It? it just kind of took off, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, toing and froing with all of this, meeting uh, Nelson Mandela, just uh, uh, seemingly just being at the right place at the right time. And you, and you, so your career developed. When you say you're in in media, like what skills were you developing there? Was it was it production? Was it you know d- d- writing? What what were you learning? I was I was uh, called a camera trainee, so I was learning all the production stuff. You know. Um, here in California, you're very pigeonholed, you know, but back then in Australia, it was, you know, I think our training was kind of a, akin to like, like a BBC model mm. where you're a broadcaster or you're a, you know, so you kind of, you, you know, you you learnt everything. And, and it, I look back now and I just, it's, I feel, I still feel extremely grateful because I, you know, if I've got a, if I've got a, a project for a big client, I've got a crew of 300, I, you know, you're constantly answering questions or being able to direct 
Mm-hmm. No, no, I want, I want this. And, and, the, and the guy's like, well, we don't need that microphone. I'm like, you know, hang on. No, no, I want that. You know, I want that. And they go, well, how do you know you want that? I say, because I know I want, that's what I want. Like you have, you come with such a, a deep well of knowledge and experience that, and without, with any, any arrogance, but you just know, you have this mm-hmm. so much to draw on. And I, and I thank my lucky stars that I was able to experience all of that, you know? From a young age, and um, it's incredible. I still draw on it today. I still draw on like the journalism, being around incredible journalists and storytelling from that point of view, and and integrity. You know, having integrity in your word when you when you're meeting people and you're encouraging people to be a part of your project. And that's the big thing. You grow up with really solid uh, ethical journalism. You know, that's a really big big part of it and now i still do i still carry that forward today on big projects massive corporations we may need you to explain what ethical journalism means (laughs) (laughs) different language sorry yeah exactly this trumpian era (laughs) that's good that's good (laughs) so um your wife did you meet where did you meet her so I always, I always figured that Darwin is such a quirky place that I always need to come back there. I'm, now, I'm not going to marry outside of Darwin. <laughs> so we, met, we, we, we met, and I've traveled. You know, we've been lucky, traveled the world, lived in London, New York, LA. We met in 1987, and so I was working. She was still in grade 12 at St John's. And, and um, I, th- I think we may have dated for a little bit, but then we were French. We moved to Sydney at the same time and we were friends in Sydney for a few years. And um, when did we meet here? And then we didn't see each other for maybe 15 years. And after 9-11, after 9-11, I came back to Darwin. That's right. I got a job back in Darwin. And um, I, I met, she was back visiting her mother. Who's, you know, her, her mother's still in Darwin, and um, we met again. We met again after 15 years and started a relationship. And poor, poor woman, now I've dragged her all around the world. <laughs> yeah. And so, what, what family is she from? Her father was an Italian immigrant, Gordon Gordon Giselli, their last name, and um, her mother's. Um, the mother's family were from Broken Hill, Ukrainian Jewish family, and her father was a came to Australia when he was fourteen or something. Um, and um, she's incredible. And and we got three children. Who uh, there's only the last one was born in Darwin. The, uh-huh. two, the first two were born in New York, but they go back every year. Every year they go back for really two every, every year. Every American summer, June, July. They go back and they stay with uh, my mother-in-law in Wagaman. <laughs> <laughs> Beverly Hills to Wagaman. Who would have thought? <laughs> and you see, exactly, and you see the photos, and they and they have this these experiences. Like my son, he just loves it. He go, he gets to be free, rides his bike, goes skateboarding at the Jingli Skate Park. Still talks about <laughs> like that's his home too. Yeah. So how old are, they, are your children? My eldest is fifteen. Fifteen and a half. My son is uh, fourteen, and my little our little one is um, twelve and a half. 
And presumably they've got the American accents? They've got American accents, yeah. <laughs> you tried to beat that out of them? No. <laughs> <laughs> they, don't, they don't hear our accents. They don't, yeah. they don't have an ear for yeah. that at all. Um, but they, they have a great connection. Um, they have a great connection to home. It's always something that's in the back of our minds. Like we, you know, when you're an immigrant, you're technically an immigrant in another country, you start to think, well, will my connection to home be severed if my children stay here? Like I, these things yeah, are yeah. coming up now because we don't really want to lose our connection to, to Darwin at all. We've still got a mm. house there. Mm. And, uh, so you've been in LA for 23 odd years. Mixture, New York, New York, and then LA. So, right. Yeah. Uh, how, how did you end up over there permanently? Um, I, I, it was very strange. I have no idea what happened, but I, I dreamt of living in New York. I don't know why when I was a young bloke. And, um, you know, I think even in, I mean, in the 70s, I, I think a lot of popular culture, even in a lot of movies, there was always that backdrop. Yes. And, and I've no idea. I, I, I really don't know why, but it just captured New York City captured my imagination. And um, I think it was, yeah, it was in 1995. I was working at ABC in Darwin. Great job. Good friends, still good friends with people there. And I saved up my holidays, had two months vacation, holiday leave. And um, my ex girl, my girlfriend at the time, she saved up her leave and we, we went traveling to the States and we were going to go to Europe and backpack and all that. Um, well, we landed in Los Angeles during the OJ trial. <laughs> and even like back then it was just, you remember, it was just completely nuts. And yeah. Was, oh, America is a freak show. <laughs> <laughs> and we drive across, we drive across country in somehow there was some way you could get someone, uh, uh, people's vehicles and drive them, transport them for free or something like that. Mm. We drove across and when we finally ended up in New York City, that was it. Oh, oh this place is – You were home. Oh, man, it, it was unbelievable. And and so I think I called up my boss, Rocky or some, whoever it was, and, and um, said I'm not coming home. And that was in March 95 and, and I, I – I stayed. I worked. We worked. We lived in a hostel. Worked in the hostel to pay the rent, and I worked on some feature films for free because I didn't have a visa. So I just met people. Oh, I don't know how I found like this. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I I don't know. Like, cause you got. I mean, you guys remember before Google, before it. it how would you know? You went to the post office on Mitchell Street and looked up the white pages. Or I I don't even know, but I found the mayor's office of film and TV in New York City in 1995, and I knew where to go. And you walk up this to the fifth floor of this building in Manhattan, and they have a list of films that were being made and the contact numbers. Which is like, I mean, that shit, that shit's like gold today. Yeah, unbelievable. And so I just call. I'm calling people. I say, I'll come and work. I've got experience. I'll be on your film. I worked with um, big actors that were weren't big at the time. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. Mm. Brilliant. And so, and then I just stayed. We went to London. I lived in London for a year and a half. Got a visa from IMG and came back to New York. Wow. Fantastic. 
You know that's how a lot of um, people got sucked into undesirable industries by going and finding roles and people's phone numbers and say, I'll work on your film for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know so much about this dark side of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hear these things. Go south real quick. <laughs> I, I was actually thinking something far lighter and i was thinking you you were basking in the afterglow of uh, crocodile dundee i suspect you know probably yeah you know what you know what that was that was like talk about a good marketing that's a that was like some of the best marketing ever that that guy yeah i mean that, that's still today you know the amount i mean what is it where are we 2021 and people will still say that that's not, America's on a, on a show or something. That's not a knife. They still drop that line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about the shrimp line there for a second. That, still, that as well. Still trying to explain to them we don't eat shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of which, mate, how do your kids uh, sort of deal with the Australian idiosyncrasies, particularly the Darwin sort of, you know, way of life and the idiosyncrasies we have got going here? You know, I, I think they're so well um, fused. Like my kids just, they just slot in. They they love being in Darwin. So they talk about the food still. They miss uh, everything about the Saturday markets. They talk about it. They talk about the smoothies, the luxa. No, <laughs> no, no, no one here has a clue <laughs> what they're talking about. <laughs> and my kids will go, oh, man, those popiers from whatever. Mm. And, and, they lo- they love it. They 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 have they have an incredible time. They it's such a free even now today. Like as busy as busy as it is compared to when we grew up, it's a great it's a great lifestyle, and they love it. Have you ever met anybody in the US who's not Australian? I got to add, who knew where Darwin was or knew anything about it? Uh, you know what? We were on a big shoot last year. With this fantastic um, influencer called Prince EA, this black dude who does a spoken word poetry, and he's like, he's a pretty big YouTube guy, and he, he does really, really good stuff. Um, uh, Richard, um, and his, um, this is ridiculous. I don't even know how this happened, but his main dude, Spencer, who does all of his like um, casting and a lot of his digital media stuff. Spencer's father was from Darwin. And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Your dad is from Darwin. Like, and this kid is like a, immersed in big, like this guy, Prince, Prince EA, is a fantastic, brilliant, just a really wonderful human being. And, and he's got, so they're, but they're busy. They've got a lot of stuff going on. Mm. Global. Like he gets, he gets, he, he did the, the, um, the, stuff, the thing that we did last year was this um, uh, fake presidential debate between a fake Trump and a fake Biden. Yeah. But he did one about the education system about eight years, seven, eight years ago. That's hundreds of millions of views. Like he, he does big stuff. And here's this kid, Spencer, and he's like, yeah, my dad's from Durham. <laughs> <laughs> so it, I have met a, one or two, one or two. Wow. Yeah. And, and given that um, you've lived in both New York and LA, and that you know essentially the kids are born and bred there, are you East Coast rappers or West Coast rapper? Which team are you behind? 
Can't talk about it, mate. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. I'll show you colours, bro. <laughs> you know that's what true. I am? I'm still double blue. Double blue. Yeah. <laughs> that's it i'm just double blue i love it color for me the double blues double blues baby old buffalo <laughs> man i'm still intrigued though because i i mean I've, I've been to la a couple of times and pete's been there as well and and you know you just know how plastic everything is right you've lived there for 20 something years you still sound like a dinky die Darwin dude. Um, you, you, your kids are connected to here, and you say it's all seamless. I don't get that. Like, I mean, I talk to um, lawyers from from the states from time to time, and I, you know, there's always a bit of a you know a, a shield. There's there's all sorts of masks and things that you've got to get yeah. past. Yeah. Before you can have a, a an open and honest, decent conversation, sometimes, yeah. because everyone is worried about what you're thinking about them. Whereas yeah. in Darwin, it's not like that, and you know that. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like WYSIWYG here, right? Yeah. <laughs> how how do you how do you transverse that? And how do you deal? And look, you're still married. You know, it's the same woman that you yeah, <laughs> from yeah. Darwin. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're you're bucking <laughs> at, you're bucking all the trends. Uh, that you normally see in LA? I think it's tricky. Like, I think it's a great point. And I think, especially in, in LA, like New York, when I, when we were first, when I was first there anyway, was a very, um, even though it seemed on the surface to be this vast contrast, Darwin, New York City, it is. But it was such a great community and it's very raw and very, no holes barred, like, you know, whether it's with your language or with your, you know, there's no kind of, oh, you're insinuating. No, 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 there's no insinuation. (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever. Like, it's it was a very straight-talking, easy-to-navigate place. And I think when when you're in L.A., like, I I felt this when I first came to L.A. 10 10 years ago because we were in New York for a long time, but – you do have a sense that, you know, a lot of people come here for the industry. The industry in Los Angeles is film and TV, okay? The industry in Kalgoorlie is mining, whatever. It's, this is the industry for this town. And with that, there was a lot of people trying to be something, good or for good or bad, that, you know, you're trying to be whatever, you're a filmmaker, director, producer, actor, and – and there's, there, there is, you're right. There, there's, there is a bit of a veneer of I'm already, you know, I, I'm driving a Ferrari, but I'm living in a really shitty studio apartment. You know, you, there's this kind of veneer of success, or I'm doing great. I've made it, or I'm, you know, you know, and um, and I think after a while, for me, I, I at some point a few years ago, I was very lucky to to be drawn to this great spiritual community, you know, a big, big community, but just really wonderful, um, honest, open, not, not a church, but a drawing on all sorts, you know, Buddhism and um, Hinduism and all, all kinds of teachings. And um, with that and with that, a lot of that practice and meditation practice, I just, I got just closer and closer to, re- you know, I, I don't need to be anything else other than, myself which is what you're talking about 
mm-hmm. at home in Darwin. There's not a lot of, there's no veneer really, you know, mm-hmm. because you get called out on it, mm-hmm. right? If, you, mm-hmm. if you're full of it, and you will know about it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just, I think it's for me just being in LA was a bit confusing at first because of that. And I and I and when I first got here, I was trying to do to be something that I knew. I, well, I don't know. It was a really confusing adjustment period for a couple of years in Los Angeles, and um, and you know, it wasn't until the last five or six years that I just you know I, I believe in what I'm doing, and you know, if it's a project that I'm developing or presenting, then I believe I believe in it so wholeheartedly and with passion and compassion and belief that no matter what, I don't need to bullshit anyone. Mm. Either the right person will find it and be a part of it or believe in it or they won't. So, But I think it's very difficult. This is a really difficult place to be lonely and alone in yourself. Mm. If you're alone in yourself in Los Angeles, it's a struggle. Like it's a big, shitty city. Mm. It's massive, and to find the right tribe, it's is hard to hard to navigate. Mm. Really difficult to navigate. Mm. I remember, um, I remember coming to LA in '91. It was the first time I'd, I'd ever been there, mm. uh, and you know, I was in my early twenties, and and I, I, I was lucky enough to to have met an American guy that had, was studying in Darwin, doing like a gap year or something in, in Darwin, oh. and, and he's, he lived in L.A. And his parents were divorced, but they both had nice houses uh, in Woodland Hills. Oh. Um, he, uh, I remember his, his dad had a, a, a lovely uh, younger woman as his uh, in a second. <laughs> and it's just like this was the normal stuff that went on there and, you know, and but everything was just so over the top, you yeah. know. People were just constantly trying to tell you or show you how great they were, yeah. you know, and name dropping and I remember going to a party and someone would say, oh, you know, this, you know, this, this cabinet here or this item was – in a, uh, a video for um, <laughs> Guns and Roses or something, I, I you know I don't know, just random stuff like that. They just keep dropping stuff all the time. And as a Darwin per, as an Australian, you, you, you don't really care about that. Yeah, I care. <laughs> so, well, because also what's interesting is that we have experiences, right? We have um, first-hand experiences. I think growing up in a and Australia's like maybe America was in the 30s, population-wise, or, you know, a very simple version, Western country, predominantly white, Christian, whatever, you know, a, a really small version of that. And we ha- we grew up with real experiences where I think a lot of people here, you hear it's a third-hand story. Right. A third-hand, oh, so-and-so bought this thing from so-and-so and it was owned by, who gives <laughs> Right, <laughs> and, it's like, and, and and it's okay. At some point, you you guys know you just it's okay for people to tell that if that's their story, then you just you listen and you know I I kind of had to realize quick that it's no point in in um, as Hoffy would say being you know well, what does he, he say black cat panther you know well 
you know, you're trying to kind of one up them. Or, or, <laughs> there's no point in that because that's their experience. A lot of Americans, especially if you come to LA, your experience comes from TV or film. Yes. Now, a story about a story. Yes. Yes. I think you've hit something. You know, whereas we go, our stories are like, so when you, when you, you know, when I told you I went to South America for Pinochet. Yes. Chile, yes. The big story there was I got run over by Pinochet's limousine. <laughs> Fake news, was it? That's, that's the story that SBS led with, not about the, the government. And so if you, if you tell that, which is that's what happened to me, that's the, but if you say that, it's like this, wow, that's, that, it's too fictional. It's kind of, yeah. Yeah, you know. Now, let me just drill down a little bit into some stuff that, you know, I think some people would find interesting and certainly I, I do. You, you've got three children there. Um, you know, you don't need to be Einstein to, to know that LA is an expensive city to live in. Um, how, how do you make enough money to survive there doing what you do? Um, it's, a, it's a challenge being freelance anywhere, you know, and, and Los Angeles is, um, is less expensive than New York but still expensive and probably maybe on par with Sydney, you know. Mm. Sydney's a pretty crazy. Melbourne's mm. probably getting, getting up there. Um, I, I think that in many ways we live in Beverly Hills, which might be like Double Bay, Wallara, mm. right, let's say. In many ways at the lower end or the medium end, Beverly Hills is less expensive. At the higher end it's crazy. So you go three blocks that way, and now we're talking about okay, every house is twenty million or whatever. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know I, I don't know. Like it's the last year was a was a real. I don't want to say struggle. I don't like that word, but it was it was challenging for a lot of people. America is a fascinating place because there's not a lot to fall back on. So yes, it's, yes. it can be very it can be very frightening. Um, Especially unforgiving, and and I'll tell you what, man, LA in the last twelve months, homelessness is yeah. You go through the parks where my kids play soccer. There's tents everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. It's it's a very strange thing. And then there's one area near the Veterans Building um, near Wilshire and the four hundred five freeway. There's tents, right? And they're supposed to be former vets, like American military veterans, mm. and they've got American flags hanging on them. It's a very strange scene because you go, why is there so much pride in allowing these people to fall through those cracks? Mm. Yeah. Why is that a prideful moment? It's a really interesting juxtaposition of – so there, there's been, it's been an interesting year for this country, obviously. You, you guys have witnessed it from afar. And, and for us, like it's, it's constantly a challenge. Beast mm. and famine. That's that's been my life. It's not. It's mm. not the most enjoyable experience, but it, it. You know, I've managed to, especially with a practice that I have, meditation practice. It's a really, and I'm surrounded by uplifting people. I get to do you know good things with, with um, all kinds of um, <laughs> opportunities and jobs and people. So, mm. and Graham. Um- I was talking to someone uh, a little while ago and, you know, look, there's there's no secrets about what's happened in the US with regard to COVID and the management of that. Um, and, you know, it was 
very much explained to me that the the democratic states uh, have taken COVID very seriously, had lots of, uh, you know, lockdowns and uh, precautions in place with regards to face masks and how people can move around, etc. The Republican states have, have been completely the opposite. Um, can you tell us a bit about what life has been like in California? Because, you know, we, we've, we've heard lots about how seriously that it's been taken with regard to trying to stop the spread of this bloody thing. Yeah, um, it's been f- pretty fascinating here. Um, I think in California, they um, it was taken pretty seriously. Um, we were we were on um, some form of of lock lockdown or stay at home order. You know, all, all, all the usual um, small businesses were shut down, restaurants, bars, and all that. Um, I, I think for me, the biggest standout. Was the uh, politi- political um, politicization or whatever the word is of of this thing, mm. the, politi- the politicizing, sorry, or, of COVID? So, which was a real shame because it, instead of it being well, if everyone wears a mask, you'll stop the spread by this much or whatever that whatever those percentages are. And let's be let's be kind and gracious to our you know. You know, Peter's got a got his grandmother lives with him or whatever. Let's know that all those that that all kind of went out the window and it was completely divided through politics. The president isn't wearing a mask; he's saying one. And 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 so, no matter what your personal beliefs or whatever were, it was aligned with a political ideal hmm. instead of let's do the right thing, let's encourage you know um, the sensible thing. Wearing masks and that it, it was an, it, was, it was a fascinating time and and of course remember last year for us right at the start of COVID we had a massive racial um, flare up with George Floyd being murdered so mm. there was this there, there was this all this stuff happening in America in the United States that pandemic economy tanked racial flare up it was I mean I heard gunshots out my window in Beverly Hills it was. It was massive. It was unbelievable. Mm. And a lot of people were, were saying that, well, in a way, the pandemic, less people sitting at home just glued to the TVs watching sport. Yeah. And now you've got to pay attention. Holy shit, we're all watching George Floyd get murdered, right? So in a way, the pandemic, you know, people was there was the term lifting the veil, lifted the veil on what was what. So, um, another pandemic in America. Yeah. So there was so much happening last year, but um, you know, we 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 were we were we were okay. We, you know, I stay at home and write. I I got pretty lucky. I got a lot of work at doing producing and directing from home. Hmm. I'm happy to stay at home and and listen to audio books, Leon, and, <laughs> and, and, and meditate. And my kids. You know, we we I was never I was never in a in a fluster or whatever. So my kids were level headed. They were do they? You know what? Now school's online. Not yeah, gonna yeah. Make, not going to make a big deal out of it. Yeah. You know, the only thing in life that's going to stay the same is change. Everything's changing all the time. So either you go with it or get completely stressed. You know. Mm. And we we weren't we weren't stressed, except for when there were gunshots outside. <laughs> 
Was there much debate around dropping the word United from the name of your country and just calling it the States of America? <laughs> there was a lot going on, man. There was a lot. It was, it, was a, it was a crazy year and in a way a brilliant year because, again, lifting the veil on um, economic disparity, racial disparity, um, the gap. <laughs> like in, There's been no other time where you've seen so many whatever you call it, uber wealthy, like mm. crazy wealth. You've never seen that much. Mm. And, the, and then the gap here. And then here, now we're, now we're fighting over, well, the, the federal minimum wage is well, it's something $4, $5 an hour, and we're fighting for $15 an hour. Mm. And that's a big deal. $15 an hour is that a really big deal. Mm. So if you're a father or mother with kids, $15 an hour. And so all these things have come up. So in a way, the pandemic was kind of, I don't want to say a blessing, but it was an interesting, yeah. interesting thing. Graham, it's so interesting listening to you because, uh, you, you know, we often hear people talk about America as the greatest country in the world, right, the greatest country in the world, and, it, and it's said with such conviction and belief Yet, I sometimes sit here and I listen to all those things that you talked about and I compare them to what we're going through. And Australia is not perfect by any stretch, but we've got universal health care. It was never a big deal. We don't have guns. Uh, yeah. you, you, you know, we have a, a, um, a safety net that seems to do the right thing Yes, we have homelessness, but it doesn't appear to be a homelessness caused by lack of uh, opportunity. I could be wrong about that. I don't want to, you know, be uh, putting my foot in it there. But, you, you know, but we have a mentality in this country that says, you know what, um, I need to make sure that I'm doing enough for the other people around me. You, you know, this isn't just about me. Um, I mean, my son was extremely sick six mm. years ago uh, with a heart condition that was congenital that was found by accident. Mm. And despite the fact that uh, I'm a lawyer and I do reasonably well, uh, relatively speaking, all his, his uh, health uh, issues were taken care of by the government. You know, right. I, I didn't have to put my hand in my pocket for one cent, yeah. including flying us down to Melbourne to go to Royal Melbourne Children's Hospital to get operated on by one of the top paediatric cardiac surgeons in the world. To me, that's what makes a great country, you know. But how do you even start to have a conversation like that with Americans about this? Because yeah. It, it, that's regarded as socialism or communism, you know, and the big red flag comes out. It's it's it, look, it's bloody, it's it's fascinating, and um, it's it's that oh, sometimes I find it even very emotional. Like it's just really incredible because I think that um, that idea of you know if you if you are earning a certain amount of money, then I think Biden's, what's he talking about, 400000 plus a year, the tax rate's going to be so. You know, I, f I, f I feel like 
you would want that mentality as a human being to say, of course, I want to contribute. Leon, Peter, Graham, whomever. Yeah, whatever the tax rate is, knowing that, and you see extremely successful countries, I don't know a lot about Finland or, you know, these sort of models that whatever the tax rate is, quite high. There's no one really struggling there. Everyone has access. So America was, you know, one of the terms I think thrown around in in the founding days of this country was meritocracy. Well, that's gone out the window. Unless you, I mean, you look at the college system here. Mm. <laughs> you go to college, like you know. I, I, I mean, unless you really, uh, it's. I don't even know how 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 people, unless you're extremely like motivated, or you've had an incredible mentor, or you've got a lot of money. Like that's the thing. You got to have a lot of money, and then you get access to that college. I'm not talking about Stanford or Harvard, or you know, top fifty, top hundred then you're okay, you know. But I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult question because there are, you know, there are a lot of aspects to here that I, th- that I think are great and I've met vast uh, demographics. I've travelled more in this country than most Americans have and we've got friends here in Beverly Hills who have never left Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> said to me. I don't like people from Melbourne. Yeah, well, who have said to me, like, when we talked about Bernie Sanders and they've said, well, he's too radical. I'm like, he's talking about the shit that we grew up with in Australia, England, Canada, New Zealand. This is not radical stuff. And and I, I, I like to think that, I mean, I don't know, it, it's it's pretty incre- it's incredible. I think here is it's just an incredible thing to look at. You look at someone like Bezos or Gates who have so much – Wealth, it's astounding. You can't even imagine. I don't, you know, maybe if you had, you know, I, I don't know. But it's, it's astounding. And then it's easy to be cynical because then they're going on and they're creating these vast, um, you know, they're, they're benefactors to these vast charities. But you're thinking, well, why didn't you create that kind of lessen that wealth gap while you were able to instead of, instead of arguing over paying someone $15 an hour in your company? Like, I don't know, there's a lot of conflict here for me at the moment. It's interesting. It's an interesting time. If you guys haven't seen it, uh, I watched on Netflix the other day the uh, the, the real-life documentary, although it uses actors, but uh, into Rick Springer, who's the uh, fellow that founded the whole buying your way into college yeah, right, right, situation. Right. And yes. I've got to say... Uh, exactly what Leon just said, I said to my wife as we watched this thing, it gives you the full from top to bottom as to how he did it, what he did, because all the FBI recordings have been used in putting this thing together. And it highlighted everything that's wonderful about America and everything that's shocking about America to me in that one hour and a half program because, you know, those that got caught, the, you know, celebrities and people that we know and, there's not even that much shame attached to them. It's just like, oh, well, if you've got the money, you just do it. It's, yeah. it's not even a question. Well, we had a president who just his uh, whole life was built on that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly I what I said. Splints. I got shin splints. I can't go into the military. Yeah. <laughs> People sitting exams for him and the whole bit. You know I mean? Well, you know, his whole, his whole charade, his whole life and his whole, his whole existence is built on what you said earlier, Leon. 
this weird veneer of just complete bullshit. He wouldn't last five seconds in Darwin. <laughs> the, the hair would be taken straight off. <laughs> it would be on someone's aerial. <laughs> we, all, we all know. We all know. We, we all know that there's a lot of extremely successful and wealthy people in Darwin, especially in the last twenty years. And a good friend of ours, and I'm sure you know him. He came and visited me, and he's he's done very well. He's a great, hardworking dude, like builds all himself. And he's like, man, what, what's going on? Everyone's driving Ferraris and Maseratis, whatever. I said, bro, you got more money than in your glove box than all of these people. Mm. Like, it's just all anyway. Yeah. Well, mate, tell. So, what do you do now? What's your? You said you're a freelancer. What's your day to day job look like or work? Um, so I do lately, um, kind of, um, in a, in a similar sphere as, uh, Pete, I, I mean, I would say I'm in digital marketing, but on the, on the, um, on the branded, uh, branded content side, like it's, you know, that's, uh, content now is, is a word that we <laughs> say, well, it's a, it's a, it's video. It's, uh, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. so I, I work in, um, um, a lot of uh, social media facing um, three to five minute um, packaged videos that are that are um, commercials, but look like mini documentaries and um, a nice. very very successful um, um, structured um, mini films that are say um, a, a story. About, uh, for example, I did a story in uh, Paradise in California after the fires. Yes. And that was about students, high school students, doing something good for their community. But it was paid for by Adobe. Mm. The, the tie-in was these students editing a video on Adobe, on Adobe Premiere. Mm. And Adobe are an incredible company, and this is cause marketing, Right. They, don't wanna, they say, we don't want our brand through this. We don't want to accept it right at the end. And then they'll, they'll do something like the call to action will push traffic to a, a non-profit or charity that's working in that specific uh, devastation or whatever. So I've done a lot of those sort of uh, videos um, that suit me because it's, it's very much um, me having to go and find people and meet people and using my skills and my integrity and my, you know, everything that I've learned over the last 30, whatever years, um, so I do a lot of that. I've, um, last year I was very lucky. I, I you know, just I, I did a bunch of these UGC user-generated content um, projects. For um, I did one big one for Nokia that went global. It was fantastic. It had seventeen people from seventeen different countries, and so I'm up all night directing them and teaching them how to film themselves on their iPhones and get out <laughs> right, and, you know, and. Don't film yourself up against the wall. Get out, you're in Jerusalem, man. Get out there. Show me the background. Like, really spend a lot of time. And then he sends me his video 12 hours later and he's up against the wall. I'm like, bro, I just said to you, I know that. <laughs> Show me the beach. Right. So, you know, I spent weeks and weeks doing that. And it, and it was fantastic. And um, all sorts. Of, and I also pitch, I'm working on a really beautiful, massive uh, civil rights documentary series i'm hoping it'll be for you know um a big you know like a big streamer um so i'm working on that i'm writing i'm writing a lot of that um stuff um 
I think there's a great opportunity now to tell so many stories, you know. I'd love to do – I would love to pitch something about the Territory and Darwin yes. and, and just Indigenous. I just – I would I'm, – yeah. I've been thinking about it for a long time and, and I'm – and I think I'm almost ready to present it to to something, and say, you know, there's something so spot on, and I, and I don't mean just like I see the, those commercials that are just gratuitous. No, big no, shots. no, who cares about the big shots? Yeah, give me the story about like you've got these epic characters up in Arnhem Land, and like that's culture. Like we've got such rich, yeah. Um, and Graham, you said before at the start of this, you said that one of your passions is getting out there and and highlighting, you know, those who are underprivileged or you know going through tough times. Um, look, we've spoken on this podcast endlessly uh, to people with connections to remote communities. Uh, we've talked about the housing problem. We've mm-hmm. talked we've talked about the fact that the Northern Territory still has. Um, and I'm going to need Leon's help with the exact description here, but still has completely preventable heart disease and mm. other diseases because of how these communities are being forced to live. Yeah. But because not enough people know about it, it just goes under the carpet. So it, it seems like it would be tailor-made for someone like you to come and highlight it. Yeah, you know what's amazing? Hoffy actually um, years mm. ago, like – 14 years ago when he was doing a lot of really grassroots work in, um, um, what's it called, um, Gove, Null- mm, you know, um, mm. in the, with the Yongle people there and and I was able to go with him a couple of times as he's telling these stories and translating these, like, like you know, this kind of white fella, white fella kind of accounting principles or business principles but, of course, people get it because he was he was communicating it by drawing in the sand, like it was just, yeah, yeah. these are okay. You got to spend eight years of college to understand this shit. And he's and the the beauty of it, his was his translation. Uh-huh. And and so um, um, I got to go there and and see that with him. And um, um, it's such a it's a it's an interesting uh, I don't know it's such a f- fascinating world and. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not even answering your question, mate. But I, but it's it's it needs to be told. It needs to be spoken about. And um, you know the um, the stories up there. Are, but I, but I think there's so much, you know, on that. There's so much positivity. The culture is so rich that you don't, you know. I, I've been to Navajo country here. Mm-hmm. Holy fuck! It's unbelievable. It is. I mean, you you can't even imagine. There's these. 80-year-old beautiful elders living in a hogan like a humpy. Mm. The old lady has to walk 100 metres to go to the toilet. There's no running water. And I'm looking at there and there's a road, the main road, government road, highway, half a mile away. Mm. Still in the United States in 2020 or whenever I was there. And you just it, 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 it just begs to go, what, what, what's, what's happening? Yeah, you know, they, they, this is an interesting place here. The nap, the indigenous people here. We're we're on the um, uh, right next to the what, what's the what's the, the big river system anyway. That they'd lost all that land. They don't even have rights to go into the river. Like it's just it's mm-hmm. fascinating stories anyway. Um, the the northern territories captivates me and the Yongle people and you know um, 
So we're going to go. We're going to do it. We're going to come back, and we, it's going to. I think it needs to be told in in a really great cinematic, yeah, cinematic like textural way. Like Stephen Johnson does it, man. Like he's he's been doing that for years with Young Old Boy and those brilliant uh, music videos he did for Yachty Indy. Yeah, like, and I haven't seen his recent film, but like that's what you need. You need someone like that who's. Whether it's a white fella, black fella, it doesn't matter. But he came up there and he did that movie recently that apparently is just beautiful. You know, no one's told those stories or Rolf to hear telling those stories and working with David Goplu, like a living legend. Mm. Australia's most successful actor, probably. Yeah. Right? He was a long grasser. Like, he's just incredible. Like, yeah, yeah. So talented, such a beautiful, beautiful person, you know. So, I mean, it's great stuff. Um, anyway, rambling. Mate, uh, tell us about your wife. Does she um, is she working or does she? No, she's been busy with the kids. She hasn't she hasn't worked for a while. She's been, it, it's a full full time job, as you know. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I can imagine. She's um, she loves coming. She loves coming back every year. She helps her mother out. Her mother's <laughs> got a, got three um, Aboriginal children that are fostered, and um, right, and um. She loves it, and um, they've come back here. Actually, I should I should have sent you a photo. There's a couple a couple of the kids have come back to Beverly Hills. Um, wow! With my mother-in-law, and we're in uh, one of them. Uh, I shouldn't say a name. The, one of the little girls um, from a you know well-known community, but it's grown up in Darwin, and uh, she's the, we're the kind of the one of the only families that she's known. So she, you know, in that in culture in Mm. Your daddy or your mummy or your dad, mm. you know, your sister, brother. There's no, it's a diff, you know, the relationship is, fa- it's family. And so we, the local Whole Foods, you know, the fancy organic groceries. I took her there one day. We're walking through, holding my hand. And she's like, daddy, 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 get me a mango or something like that. Holly's <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, everybody got a break. They're like, she's really black. I mean, she's black. You know, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and, and then she sees my kids at school. It's my sisters, my brother. You know, and so I, my wife still loves going back and um, and um, helping her mother out there every, every year. Um, sadly, not this year. I don't think. I don't think it's going to happen. No travel. No, not at the moment. No. But mate, uh, I, I think uh, your documentary is right under your nose. Frankly, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, you know. I mean, I'm thinking about um, Ozzy Osbourne, and uh, you know, what did he do with, the, with his uh, his son? Jack? All the cameras at home. Yeah, oh, um, brilliant. You know, I, I, I just yeah. Think- no, I, I'm with you, man. I, I, it's just so it's so rich, and um, you know, you guys spoke to Hoffy, and you know Hoffy uh, well, Leon, and um, you know, and and um, I, I keep thinking of. Um, uh, Timmy Jawa, Jawa, you know from um, Bawaka, and, and all these great characters, and 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 even in the spiritual community here, I've showed them photos and told them about, you know, one big thing that you could that that would really be incredible. Obviously, COVID, but well, it won't happen. But there are so many people here that go. I tell them about you should come. We'll do a retreat in Yongle Land. You will meet Jalu, the Dij, Dij, you know, the Yadaki master. Like you do all, and they're like, they never, they never hurt. Like, they would pay 10 grand, 15, 20, like, to come and do these groups of these retreats 
to see this stuff. The culture is so, so incredibly beautiful and rich and we, and we don't hear enough about it. I, I don't think. So it is in our, it's under our noses and, and we will do it someday. Hey, you've, you've mentioned meditation a few times. Uh, do, mm. have you, do you uh, have much to do with Sam Harris at all? No, who's that? Okay, I'll have to send you a link. Yeah, please, uh, please. Yeah, I think you might uh, you might find him quite interesting, actually. Oh, please, yeah. All right, mate. Well, look, uh, it's been delightful getting to know you. Very yeah. fascinating story, certainly something that we haven't seen on uh, Territory Story yet. Yeah, um, it's been great. So, uh, if there are any other expat Darwin people out there. Mm. I've, got someone, I've got someone perfect for you. Fantastic. You're not, you're not even going to believe it. This is this is a good one. All right, nice, very good one. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you the details. I'm gonna ask her. I think she's probably. Uh, let me think. She she may be one of the most successful exports out of Darwin. I think yeah. musician. Yeah, Greek wow. girl, Darwin. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. I'll, 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 I'll tee it up. She'd love to talk. I think she'd love it because you guys are really great. This is this is fantastic. I really appreciate <laughs> it. Really good. Well, it's great to get to know you, mate, and uh, look, uh, I'd certainly love to catch up with you next time uh, I'm heading over there, which hopefully will be sometime next year, if not uh, the year after. Yeah, definitely, and um, likewise, thank you. It was great. Thanks for joining us, Graham. Cheers, guys. That was Graham Steele from Los Angeles, California, on the Territory Story podcast. We'll catch you again next time. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to TerritoryStory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.